T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Home and home. Hump day! Hump day! Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. What guess what day it is? Hey, Bill. Guess what day? It's hump day. It's hump day. It's hump day! Ross Tucker. Jason Martinez with you again. Filling in for Dave Briggs on a Wednesday edition of Home and Home, a radio.com sports original. We are with you from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time every day live as well as always available on demand. A lot to talk about when it comes to the NFL. Maybe having a new CBA, maybe not. We still haven't had a chance this week yet to dive into the latest Astros sign stealing. And it's this time we all have video evidence of it. We don't even need to debate it. They are clearly stealing signs again. And how about the Jets as we continue our All-32 series can the gang green finally get it turned around? But Jason, we're going to start with something a little bit different today because it's very rare that one of the two hosts of Home and Home goes to a sporting event the night before that makes significant news. But that's exactly what happened last night. Uh, as most of the listeners, viewers, whatever know, I live in central Pennsylvania, uh, get tickets to Hershey Bears games often, went to the game last night, about midway through the second period, the people, uh, we have second row seats, the people in front of us left, so my two daughters are up against the glass right in front of my wife and I, and the Bears scored to go up 4-1, and you can talk about this, Jason, but Bears scored to go up 4-1. The next faceoff, I mean, they didn't even tap the puck. Everybody just got out of the way. Two guys dropped the gloves. It was Kale Kessie from the Hershey Bears and Derek Shepard from the Charlotte Checkers. Let's pause there before I do the rest of the story because I think it's important Talk to me about what happened or went on there because there was no animosity. It's 4-1. You're about to take the face-off. And as soon as the face-off happens, everybody gets out of the way except for these two guys that throw their gloves down. And I said to the girls and my wife, fight. It's a fight. Here it comes. Turn around. Get ready. Because you knew right away what was happening. What happened there? Well, I don't know if there was any history there where it was a calling card from a, a prior event or a prior game or a hit that either one of those players laid on one of their teammates earlier this season. So I'm not sure about that, but th this is what the NHL and what hockey would term as a premeditated uh, fight, one where they decided they were going to go before something even happened or sparked it, like a big hit in the course of play or a guy slashes a guy or something like that. And both players just, they say, they walk out, they go to the face-off circle. Hey, we're out next to each other. You want to go? Yeah, let's go. Both one guy's trying to give his team energy uh, because now they're down 4-1 to one in the game. So he's trying to change the momentum by getting into a fight. And usually the team of the guy that's leading the game is going to go, no, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to help you give your team energy when we're up 4-1. to one. So there may have been something else there, like a backstory between those two. I'm not sure about that, but... That's a premeditated fight, and the league and the AHL as well 
will come down hard on those guys because the premeditated fight when it's not in the course of play is one of the things that they're trying to get out of the game because there's no place for it and because things can happen. And what you witnessed last night did happen is a reason why these premeditated fights should not take place anymore. The sport has got to evolve. They're trying to make it evolve, but there still are situations like what you witnessed last night, and it's pretty disturbing. Yeah, so uh, what ends up happening is Cassie for the Bears gets a few nice jabs in and is hitting um, Shepard, and then all of a sudden, Shepard comes through with a right hand that hits uh, Cassie right in in the jaw, maybe even in the in the cheek area. And from our vantage point, we were behind Shepard. Front row are my daughters. I'm in the second row. But you could see the right hand come. You could see the clean shot to the head. And you could see immediately Kessie's eyes roll up. In fact, as Kessie's going... He was knocked out on his feet. As he's going down, Shepard's trying to hold him up with one hand and waving for people to come out with the other hand. I mean, I'm telling you, Jason, it was not even, man, I don't know, not even like a tenth of a second it felt like after he connected that he went, boom, trying to hold him up like this. Yeah, like and he's trying he to hold him knew, up so he doesn't slam his head on the ice. Right. Yeah. He knew right away. So he goes down, and there was no movement, nothing, no movement. And all that unfolded after that was a series of medical personnel coming out the players all standing around, you know, they're putting masks on them, oxygen. And so I got to tell you, I was very concerned, very concerned. And my, so first of all, both my daughters turn around and they see the concern on our faces. They weren't totally sure. And then they saw the concern, and my wife's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Ross. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Is he okay? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And so when our daughters saw that, then they both started bawling. And I said, he'll be okay, guys. It's part of the it's part of the sport. But I got to be honest with you, Jay. I did not know if he'd be okay. I yeah. have been. He might not be okay. On the, I've been on the field multiple times where a guy was knocked unconscious and they are asleep like that, but you're usually able to kind of wake them up and it just doesn't look as scary as it did for, for this blood all over the ice. They're putting all kinds of contraptions on them. And you know, all the players you could tell were very concerned. It went from, an unbelievable roar when they were fighting to deafening silence, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it was so quiet. It was eerie. You could hear a pin drop and I, I did not know if he was going to be okay. Now on the drive home, they actually put the guy in the penalty box and they were going to play. And then they thought better of it. Both teams went into the locker room and Shepard went out of the penalty box back into the, the checkers locker room. But when Shepard came over initially to the checker, to the penalty box, I mean, it almost gets me choked up. He, he was very concerned. Like he was just like this, like he would like, and I don't know if it's because he knew how bad he hurt the guy and or I'm guessing he's the one that initiated the fight. So you initiate it and then you put a guy in the hospital and there were some fans behind us saying, it's not your fault, Shepard. Keep your head up. It's part of the sport. It's okay, Shepard. 
Don't worry about it, Shepard. But he was distraught. I mean, he yeah. was like apoplectic. So I say to my wife, you know, I wanted to leave right away. But then I thought, how concerning will that be for my daughters if we leave right away? So instead, we were like, it's okay. He'll be fine. But then when I saw the checkers go to the locker room, I was like, they're not playing anymore. Like, we got to go. They didn't continue play for 20 minutes. They took, like, the end of the period then, yeah. um, if you will. And so I got to tell you, I love violence. I love hitting people. I miss it every day. And I like fighting in hockey. Or at least I thought I did until last night. Until I saw how bad that was for Kessie. And I saw how distraught Shepard was. How upset my wife and daughters were. And, you know, then they're asking all kinds of questions. You know, well, why do they fight then? What, what, why do they hit him in the head if it's not good? Because then I'm saying to my daughters, that's why on the car ride home, that's why you never, ever hit anybody, especially your sister, in the head. Well, then why did he hit him in the head? Well, they're professionals, and that's part of it. It's a tough one to explain, Jay. It really is. Yeah. It's hard to explain. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around it. And the reason why he was so upset, because he knew how he tagged him with the punch. And it's in, when you're fighting in hockey, you're holding one hand on the jersey, and the other hand you're throwing is the jackhammer. And when he caught him and he felt his body go completely limp, he's trying to then hold him up so he doesn't bang his head on the ice and make him concussed further from just the initial blow that knocked him out. And this ha this has happened far too often, and it's dangerous because these guys, you go, well, they're fighting on skates and they have, you know, it's hard to, to land a punch. And sometimes it is, and you got a jersey and they're tying you up. But if you do get one loose, these are these athletes are, are incredible and they can throw with tremendous velocity. And when you tag a guy like that, you can do some real damage. And look, I hope I hope the player is OK, um, but it is it is part of the sport. It's a lot less a part of the sport than it's ever been. And it's going to continue to go in that direction. And it, it's it's amazing that, you know, it went on for as long as it did. And more guys didn't even just even get killed for, for the, you know, hitting a guy, knocking him out and have him fall on the ice, hit his head on the ice, especially when guys weren't wearing helmets. The league is trying to get rid of it. They need to do more to get rid of it and make it a deterrent. The problem is, is without the deterrent of without fighting, then you have guys taking other liberties because fighting is what kept people in line from using the stick or doing other things on the ice. And without it, you know, as, as we get older and you see certain things removed from sports, it adds another element because that was in the sport as a as a a level of culpability. And with it gone, other guys take advantage of it because they don't have to answer for, you know, swinging the stick around or doing things like that. But seeing what you saw last night is very disturbing and. It can really impact a kid, a young kid, especially yours are, you know, seven, eight years old. That's that's not a good thing that they needed to witness last night. And I'm sure they were kind of freaked out and definitely very scared. The Astros are at it again, stealing signs. Only this time they are literally taking signs away from fans that are in the stands we have video evidence. This time it's not illegal. Evidently, if it's at your own facility, at their own spring training facility, fans of other teams have come and they brought signs to display at the Astros spring training facility and Astros representatives have been taking those signs away. I'm going to start by just giving you a blank canvas on this one. Jason, your thoughts on the Astros taking signs away from people that have come to Astros games to have signs critical of the franchise? Um, I'd like to invite the Houston Astros to hire a PR company to help them with their problem because taking a sign from 
a fan that says the Houston and it's got an asterisk with a, a hyphen and an S like the Houston asterisks, asterisks, if that's a word. And taking that sign from the fans in spring training is as dumb and tone deaf as it gets. Like how freaking dumb are you to go into the stands and ironically steal a sign? Trash cans involved, too, because I'm sure the, the signs went into the trash can of fans just protesting basically how you cheated your way to a championship. Are you that dumb of an organization? Well, they are, because we heard we heard the owner speak a couple weeks ago, didn't we, Ross? And he was like, well, I don't know that us stealing the signs really affected the game. Really stupid? Are we supposed to believe that you knowing the pitch didn't help you win? And now people are going to protest it, and you're going to take the signs because it's in your ballpark? This organization can't get out of their own way. But you know what? In a way, Ross, it's not even their fault. It's baseball's fault. And it's the commissioner's fault because of his gutless punishment because he felt like there were too many players to punish the players. So now this is going to – what's going to happen? Because he didn't do the right things and have a swift enough hand of justice, this is going to linger all season long. So you know what? Get used to it. Order an extra dumpster out at your ballpark because there's going to be signs all year. And wait till you idiots go on the road and have to deal with road fans and let them give it to you. Where do you go to Yankee Stadium? Where do you go to these other places where you basically, you know, stuck your nose up at the sport and just cheated your way to a title and you want to claim that knowing the pitches didn't help you win? We're, we're dumb. A lot of people are dumb in this country and we can't fix dumb, but we're not this dumb. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, I um, I don't know about this, right? Like, on the one hand, it's a bad look for them to be taking the signs, clearly, right? Like, it just seems petty, and then you have all the jokes of stealing signs. On the other hand, they are setting the tone that, at least for home games... You're kind of wasting your time if you make signs like that. They're going to take it from you. So I guess I wonder, you know, for opposing fans, and I don't know how many opposing fans would actually go to, what's it called, Minute Maid Park or whatever in Houston, or I don't know how many of them would actually go to an at Houston Astros regular season home game, but they are setting the tone that you're not going to be able to have signs at home games. And so I think that there would be a decent amount of people that might say, I'm not going to take the time to make this sign only to have them take it from me in the first inning. What a waste. So I guess on some level you could argue they're giving their players a reprieve from that part of it, at least when they're home. Now I do think if anything, that probably only exacerbates the situation a little bit for when they go on the road and makes people want to be even more venomous when they're on the road. I think net-net, I probably would have just let it go. Um, But if that becomes what's shown on all the TV broadcasts, on SportsCenter, if every game they're showing the latest creative sign, that's not good for you either. And if you can at least eliminate the ones in your own ballpark, part of me feels like you almost might as well. I'm a little torn on this one. Well, I get what you're saying. They're, they're setting the precedent early, and, and they're doing it in spring training that, hey, if you come to what is deemed one of our home games, whether that's our spring training facility or whether that's Minute Maid Park, we're not going to allow you to have signs ripping the team for the cheating scandal. So, okay, I get that. I understand why they're doing it. Um, and, and they don't want the, you know, the stadium to be littered with these signs. But if I'm an opposition team, I'm, I'm going to make it real clear that game one against the Astros this year, signs are allowed. Voice your displeasure with what happened, how 
this team screwed baseball, screwed us, and screwed the fan bases uh, by cheating outwardly and brazenly with this whole thing that they did. So, look, the whole thing's just been handled so poorly. And, and you know, I almost – I'm not going to call for Rob Manfred's job, but, boy, somebody needed to step in and advise him the correct way to handle this because all it's done is exacerbate what is already a horrible situation – because of his lack of leadership and how he dealt with it. So, look, I don't know when it goes away, Ross. That's the thing. When does it, Where's the line that where this stops and it becomes about baseball again for the Houston Astros? It's probably not until the World Series trophy is handed out to a different team this year. Because this is going to linger and there is an asterisk there. And the commissioner won't put one there uh, in, in reality when it comes to the record book. But... This is going to continue to go on all season long, and that's not good for me. That's not good for you. It's not good for baseball. You know, it's interesting because, you know, it's interesting, too, um, just thinking about it. It's almost like the 2007 Patriots, where after Spygate, they went undefeated. They had a point to make that year, which is that – that was not why we were good. And they went out and they proved that point. To your point, I wonder if the Astros are capable of that. Let's bring on John Lopez. He's one of the hosts of In the Loop with Landry Locker, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Been an unbelievable, eventful year for Houston sports. John, it's Ross Tucker, Jason Martinez. Really appreciate the time. I guess for for most of these questions, John, I want your opinion and the fans' opinion. Let's start with the Astros taking signs from fans that are bringing them to the park down there in spring training. What's been your reaction to that? Good move, <laughs> dumb move, and what do the fans think? Uh, dumb move. Uh, first of all, there was nothing there was nothing vulgar about any of those signs, and there's some. Definite irony there, right? The, the the Astros are stealing signs, you know, out of the stands. Uh, that, that that's interesting. The Astros are in desperate, desperate need of chaos management, of new PR. Uh, you know, you go back to uh, even but the Brandon Taubman thing before this really broke, when there was just rumor and uh, the way he treated the women reporters, and then the the way the Astros PR denied it and. Then they had to backtrack that. Then they had to renege and, and uh, take it all back. And then the way they've handled this scandal and the way they, you know, the, the press conference was was such a, a horrible, horrible display. And, and even go back to yesterday, the Astros, you know, were, or day before yesterday, Altuve in his first at-bat was booed roundly. And that's Jose Altuve, one of the most beloved guys in baseball and, and a real underdog story and well-liked, just booed roundly. And then their response was, "Well, we didn't hear anything. Oh, sure, you didn't hear anything. Uh, well, we're you know we're not we're not really paying attention to that. Yes, you are. I mean, uh, you know, the public at large wants to see a contrite, apologetic organization. And even yesterday, they were not that. It's been a bad, bad uh, crisis management uh, for the Astros." Uh, John, first of all, congratulations on having this story for your local sports talk every day. I'm sure it's yes. <laughs> fascinating for you guys. Um, and it's and I'm sure that the Houston sports fans and community writers, hosts are all split on this, on how this should be handled, how they should move forward, how baseball has handled it. How, how has that been navigating it with? You know, uh, almost like a civil war, I'm sure, happening with your fan base, writers, and everybody else. Well, there's two there's two schools here. And, and I, by the way, I was listening to you guys, and I agree with everything that Ross said, everything that you said, except that the part about it's going to be fading away in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. This is not going anywhere. And, and the reason I say that is because it's not just fans, it's not just media, it's players. Players are upset. And as you guys know, they are like elephants. I mean, they remember things 
from, you know, a pitcher might hit a batter and somebody asked him, well, what was your problem with him? Well, he looked at me the wrong way five years ago. I mean, they have the longest memories in, you know, in sports. Uh, so I think this is going to go on into next year, into the year after that, and maybe not with the, you know, the verve, you know, uh, with the, the, the amount of coverage it gets. But I think it's going to be going on for a while. And as far as, like, Astros fans and Astros, the way they handle it, um, the, it's like the best defense that the Astros truthers have is other people are doing it too, or, uh, you know, or embrace the hate. You know, that, that's not exactly a, a great look. I get it because you're, you know, these are the, the long and loyal Astros fans. But I think the right tact would be to, to say, yeah, we did it. Yeah, we're sorry, but we're going to make it right. Even from a fan's perspective, you know, you're going to take all this abuse at opposing ballparks and from opposing players and media, just say, yeah, we'll, we'll make it right now. You know, I think that's the way to go. Talking with John Lopez from In the Loop with Landry Locker, Sports Radio 610 there, Houston on the Radio.com app. So it doesn't sound like fans are necessarily defending them other than what you said. What do fans think about the idea of the Astros having to vacate their World Series title? Would that really bother them? Or do they look at it like, who cares that we already had all the fun and the parade and everything? Yeah, I think it would bother. Uh, I think it would bother a lot of Astros fans, and I'm actually on their side on this. I, I don't. I mean, I think for all intents and purposes, if you vacate the Astros title, it's just for show, because the perception is the national uh, narrative is that title has already been vacated. I mean, nobody's going to look at this title the same. You know, why do you need a piece of paper? You know, to to say that 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 title's been vacated. It's been tarnished. It's been tainted. Uh, the piece of paper or a ruling or whatever, that's not going to prove anything. And, and I wouldn't want to be on the Dodgers, you know, and say, hey, let's have a parade. We're, we're the World Series champs now. I mean, I just think, I think it's kind of an empty, empty reaction. Hey, John, what, what is the what is the feeling inside that Astros clubhouse day in and day out? Is it like walking on eggshells? Is there a feeling like usually in spring training, you go into a clubhouse and it's very loose and, yeah. you know, it, it's very comfortable and everybody's kind of relaxed. Hey, we're, you know, we're charging up, we're getting ready. We're putting our work in, we're getting ready for another season. What's a very long season and a complete grind, but is it walking in there right now? And just like, like you could cut the tension with a knife because this has not let up in any way, shape or form. And, you know, the, look, the the public pressure has gotten them a couple of bodies where a couple of guys lost their job, but the right. players all still haven't really gotten any kind of punishment of significance. So what is that feeling like around the team and in that clubhouse? Well, we're all familiar with ignore it and maybe it'll go away, right? I mean, that's kind of the feeling you get around this club. Uh, you're right. You know, there, there's this underlying tone. It's like when you have an issue uh, with your girlfriend or your wife, right? And and nobody wants to bring it up because you know it'll boil over. So you just kind of kind of suppress it, you know. And so you're just kind of like, mm, do you want to bring it up? Uh, no, you bring it up. And and I think that's what it is. They're kind of ignoring it as best they can. But then inevitably, somebody, uh, whether it's a baseball writer or an interviewer on television or whatever, uh, it, it comes back to that. And and I don't think it's going to go away. I, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be their job to try to just kind of you know, keep their heads down and do their jobs, but they know it's always going to be there. And it's just kind of an underlying tension. John, uh, my last question, how good are the Astros? My last question on the Astros, I should say, I got some JJ Watt and Bill O'Brien for you, but how good are the Astros supposed to be this year? Like, are they capable of what Jason was saying, making an extended playoff run? Absolutely. 100%. One hundred percent. I mean, they, they haven't lost talent on the position players. In fact, Carlos Correa, who, by the way, has handled this better than anyone in that building from the word go. Uh, he's really transformed his reputation in this city because he's doing it the right way. But that's a side note. Um, but, but I think that, that, that everyday players have are, are as good as ever. Now, what is that going to translate to on the field? It's hard to say because keep in mind, Garrett Cole is gone. The Astros might be really, really good, if not great, 
and still get ousted in the first round of the postseason or maybe not make the postseason just because they don't have – they've got Zach Grinke, and he's supposed to fill in for uh, that Garrett Cole role. But then what happens behind him? McCullers is coming off an injury. There's some young players. So they might be, you know, really, really good. But people will say, ah, see, told you so. It was the sign stealing that got you the World Series. When that might not be the case at all, they might not just be good enough because they've lost Garrett Cole. Uh, le- last question for me regarding the Astros as well. When you look at the situation with this team and you know what, they, what they're up against this year is very difficult, but the fan base is also up against something. Has there been a portion of the fans that is so disgusted with what happened and how it was handled and the comments from ownership that are saying, at least right now, we know these things kind of change, hey, I'm done with the Astros. My loyalty to them is gone because of this whole thing and how it's affected the integrity of the sport. I think it's a smaller percentage that are actually checking out, but there are a, there's a big percentage of fans that are just embarrassed. I mean, just embarrassed that it happened. And there's this, this, this collective, oh, no, we can't have nice things in Houston. Everything great that's happened in this city in terms of championships, there's been a yeah, but. I mean, you can go back to the Rockets, you know, 94, 95. Oh, what a great, great run they had. Oh, yeah, but uh, that's when Michael Jordan wasn't in the league, wasn't it? Uh, you know, the, now the, the Astros uh, World Series, a championship that, that really, really helped this city so much because we were coming out of, and still in the midst of, of all the Harvey flooding and, and houses, you know, thousands and thousands of people's lives being uh, destroyed. And it's like, oh, yeah, but they were stealing signs. There's a, a few that are just a, a big percentage that are just embarrassed and, and wish that, that it hadn't happened. Uh, a much smaller percentage that are checked out. The Astros are just kind of woven into the fabric of the city here. John Lopez in loop with Landry Locker, Sports Radio 610 Houston. I, I got to get a couple football questions, John. You know me. Yeah. I'll yeah. start with J.J. Watt. I talked about his tweet on Friday on Payne and Pendergast down there. Has there been any reaction to his tweet down there at all? I know people aren't that into CBA stuff, but I spoke with several current and former players that were none too pleased about it. Yeah, and I think uh, there are there's a big group that, that are not pleased about it, but I think it was impactful. J.J. Watt does not do anything without some thought behind it. There's a reason he said that, because he knows you and I and the football world will be talking about it. He did that on purpose, and, and as you well know, um, you know, a leader like that, whether it's him or Deshaun Watson, the, the younger players are going to are gonna listen to that. Uh, so I think he was really sending a message. I don't know if I agree with it. I wasn't crazy about uh, the initial CBA agreement just because I thought it should go down to two preseason games rather than three, but that's just me. But make no mistake, I mean, he did this on purpose. He did it with purpose, and I think it's impacting uh, certainly the Texans locker room, if not other locker rooms as well. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, it is that time of day. It is Ask Reddit time here on Home and Home, the Radio.com Sports Original. He is Jason Mertitis. I'm Ross Tucker. We're with you always until 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, live video as well as audio and always available on demand as well, radio.com slash home and the radio.com app. 
Today's Ask Reddit question is, Jason, and by the way, we'll get to Chad Pennington and the All-32 with the Jets in about 10 minutes, but the Ask Reddit question, when is a time you legitimately thought you were going to die? Do you have hmm. one, Jason? I have two. Um, I had post-concussion at one point, and I had migraine headaches that were so bad. I think I was like 14 years old, and I remember asking my mom to duct tape the curtains for the, for the light that was coming in on the crack around the window. I thought that my head was just going to pop because the migraine headaches were so bad. But the other one, as an older, as an adult, I was driving to a bachelor party in Baltimore down 95. And as I'm driving down 95, there was two cars that kind of nipped each other in front of me. And the one car skidded straight in front of where I was coming. So I'm coming this way. And all I could think about as it was happening was NASCAR. Don't try and miss the car. Because if you try and miss the car, you'll hit the car, aim for the car, and you'll miss it. And I missed it. It like went right across in front of me, and I went right by it. I had to pull over at the next rest stop about a mile later and collect myself for about a half hour because I was so panicked. I thought that I was going to T-bone the guy at 85 miles an hour, and I was going to be splattered all over the side of 95 in Maryland. But I survived it because of my quick wit and thinking and listening to the NASCAR Analysts say, don't try and miss the car because you'll hit the car. <laughs> so you try to hit you. You literally tried to hit the car. Well, your your human reaction tells you go where the car isn't right. And when you do that, you turn to where the car is going and you meet at that intersection of a spot. But if you just aim for where the car is at that moment, it's going to go by and miss you. So I okay. went right by the car because it's I moving at a high rate of speed. I know how the car was going again. Why don't you aim for the opposite way? Because your human reaction always tells you to go to where it's just like your it just your reaction is just to go like that, and the car's coming this way, and you're gonna go, and you're gonna go boom, and you're gonna go right into it. That's why so many accidents happen. You tend not to go where the car just left. So I would have turned to the right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you don't go, your human reaction is to, to go where the car is going towards, not where it's coming from. Right. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever really legitimately thought I was going to die. I think that there were a few times that I was very concerned for my safety. Uh, three in particular, really two, but one, I will tell you that there was a time on a Buffalo Bills flight where I, I shit you not, dude, we were like a hundred feet above the ground and all of a sudden we landed like it went douche. I, I had never experienced, I mean, I've been on hundreds of flights. And some of the guys in the NFL haven't been on that many flights. And when we landed, I mean, it was like the plane bounced up and down. And the captain came over the loudspeaker and said, gentlemen, congratulations, you just experienced. And I thought for sure he was going to say a plane crash, a plane crash. He called it wind shear. You just experienced wind shear. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't know what the hell wind shear is, but I do know that when a plane lands, it lands like gradually on a plane, plane on a plane, and lands usually pretty smoothly. It might be a little bumpy. I'm telling you, if you would have looked out the window, we would have been a couple hundred feet above the ground. And then in a split second, I don't know what the hell wind shear is, dude, but we just went boom, like we were in it a helicopter, yeah. like we were in a helicopter. And then we bounced a couple times. Like it was, and there were guys, I remember Sam Aiken was a wide receiver of North Carolina. 
He was holding on to the armrest so hard that I thought he was going to snap him off. I mean, he was like, and everybody was, I mean, I I was concerned. I feel like I'm going to die every time I'm on a plane because it's unnatural. I, I just took my family down to Walt Disney World in August. And when we were landing at in Orlando, we know there's, there's storms there all the time. So we're making our approach in Orlando Airport, and we're getting ready to touch down. And then all of a sudden, the plane, you can hear the guy throw it into high gear and start taking off and going back up. And I'm going, like, what's going on here? Maybe there was wind shear or something like that, and they decided not to land. I'm expecting to hear that over the intercom. I wasn't expecting to hear there was a plane that had not cleared the runway yet. And I'm going, we were like 40 feet in the air and ready to land on top of a plane. Just at least lie to me. Don't tell me the real reason was we were about to T-bone another aircraft. So I didn't know that that plane was on the runway because you can only see out the side of the windows. But what was the dude looking at out of the front window? Now it's time to talk New York Jets. We'll have Chad Pennington with us, but first... Let's take a look back at the jet season that was. There is a lot of expectation on both sides of the ball, but I think especially offensively for the Jets, not only because it's a new head coach who's an offensive guy, not only because it's Sam Darnold in his second year, not only because they added Le'Veon Bell. I mean, there's a million reasons why. And you, and you want to know why the expectations are high? Because Adam Gase has made them high. For Luke Falk, you know what? I thought he did okay. I mean, he stood in there, and I, I look, folks. It is what it is. It's injuries, and uh, this is the NFL football season. It is a war of attrition, and right now the Jets are feeling the pain, and uh, they're going to feel it probably for another couple weeks until Sam comes back. What happened? What's the, what's the well, problem with th- the quarterback? During the break, Ernie shared some unfortunate news. Now, yeah, I read, I saw he had a strep throat. They sent him home for practice. So, well, what's the, Sam what's the Darnold problem? will not play on Monday. Uh, he has mono and uh, could miss multiple weeks. Uh, mono? Isn't mono where you're always tired? Yes, for, and it lasts yes. a while. Mono's months. Kids would have mono in school. They they disappear for two months. We'd never see him again. So our football team is a joke, disgrace, laughing stock year after year. Anyway, Sam Darnold. I mean, everyone's anointing this guy as like the Jets' savior. Whether you like it or not, whatever the reason, that's two years he can't play 16 games. I don't really see any leadership qualities from this guy. Could be wrong on that. There's just, there's just a bunch of things. I'm looking right now at Adam Gaze, okay? Who should be fired today? I mean, I, I, they, we, why are we wasting our time with this brutal head coach. Let's start with that. They allowed this guy to sell them a bill of goods that he was the quote-unquote quarterback whisperer. Well, he did a lot of whispering to Sam Donald last night. Luke Falk looked better in the loss to the Patriots than Donald did yesterday. They should take care of Jamal Adams, sign him, give him a nice big contract. No-brainer, yes. Now, this rumor about this wide receiver. All right, let's see if your guessing skills. He wants the New York Jets, according to some reports. He wants, wants the, the Jets. Jets. Correct. According to some reports. Uh, okay, let's start with Julio Jones. Not quite. DeAndre Hopkins. No. A little more trouble. Oh, no. You're not telling me it's Beckham. Oh, I'm no telling way. you it's I Beckham, want baby. no part of him. Well, I'm with you a thousand percent. No freaking part of this guy. There it is, the radio.com red zone, if you will, the Jets season that was. You know, it's weird, Jason. They were seven and nine. I mean, they yeah. were seven and nine. That's that's not that bad. You know, it's like I think I thought maybe they'd be eight and eight, nine and seven. They're one of those teams that because they got off to such a bad start, you almost didn't realize that later in the year they ended up being 7-9. and nine. It, I guess that's why you play all 16 games. But after Darnold got mono and they lost those games and they were terrible early, I think everybody just kind of forgot about them and just thought they sucked. Well, Darnold got the mono and eventually came back. 
But then he was remember he was seeing ghosts. Remember what the the came out with yeah. the the mic'd up thing and against the Patriots and look a lot of people have seen goats against Bill Belichick teams, but that wasn't a good look for him. But they did win three games in a row at one point and they kind of put it together a little bit and you know what's the next step in the progression? That's the big question for for the Jets now. Um, the fact that you know they, they they won more games than the Giants that's a good thing, right? <laughs> They're moving in the right direction. But I heard the questions there about Adam Gaze. And he's he's bizarre, but is he the right guy? I mean, that's like the big question for the Jets. And, and is he the right guy to get the most out of Sam Darnold is the other question. Because if Darnold is a legit franchise quarterback, then they're going to be a pretty good team moving forward. Now, Le'Veon Bell, you know, he had, what, like less than 800 yards on the season, but um, I, they could be moving in the right direction. They are actually less dysfunctional now to me than the New York Giants. And I agree. And I think it was Joe Beningo said, I want no parts of OBJ. I don't either if I'm the Jets. Well, I no want thanks. every part of Chad Pennington. Good friend of mine. Unbelievable career he had with the Jets and the Dolphins. Now he does so many good things for former players off the field. Chad, it's Ross Tucker. Jason Martinez, really appreciate the time. Always great to talk with you. And it's funny, we're talking Jets, Chad. And I just said to Jason, I don't think anybody realizes they were 7-9. and nine. And when you start out 0-4, ended up 7-9 and is not that bad. Well, you're exactly right, Ross. Uh, that's exactly the feeling I think that everybody has, is that the Jets were worse than what they finished record-wise. Uh, we could certainly talk about where they need to improve, uh, what adjustments they need to make uh, to become a playoff contender. But I think being able to rebound and respond in the second half of the season the way they did, uh, Adam Gase and his staff deserve credit. Uh, An organization deserves some credit there uh, because it would have been really easy to turn that season into 3-13. and Um, when you're dealing with that type of emotion and that, that lack of success that they had early in the year. So to finish 7-9, and nine, I think uh, it was a, is a much better spot to be in, feeling good about the trajectory of your first year as a head coach. Hey, hey Chad, when you look at the team, you take that 0-4 start out, they went 7-5 and five the rest of the way, the final 12 games of the season. But do they have the quarterback? Is Sam Darnold the guy to – to not only lead the Jets, but handle the New York spotlight and all the things that come with it. You played in that city. It's not an easy city to play in, especially for a team that hasn't gotten it right now in so long. Well, we're asking that question about a 21-year-old. And so (laughs) uh, I think for anybody, uh, I think time will tell. And what you have to do is you have to go based upon your evaluation of film and how you evaluated the player coming into the draft, coming out of college. And uh, too many times in our league, we are trying to place an organization upon the shoulders of a 21- or 22-year-old youngster. Um, And to be able to make that decision right now, I think, is completely unfair. Now, when you watch him play, uh, do you see potential? Absolutely, we see potential. And I, I think that's why people get excited. But then they're wanting to take that potential and turn it into a 10-year quarterback production. That's not going to happen right now. It's impossible to happen right now. And so, to me, the goals of the organization is to look at the quarterback position and go, we have a bright young talent here. We have talent at the quarterback position that we can build around. And instead of asking about what he can or cannot do, how about focus on what we can give him to allow him to do something positive uh, with the position. That, that to me, has to be the mindset. It cannot all be upon Sam Darnold. Tom Brady was not asked to win games as a third-year starter in this league, and they won a Super Bowl doing it that way. He wasn't asked to win games until the 2007 season when Randy Moss, Wes Welker, and all the weapons came in. And so there are ways to win and win effectively and be really, really good and win championships without completely asking your 21-year-old quarterback to do everything. Uh, To me, that's unrealistic. Talking with Chad Pennington, longtime NFL quarterback. Now he's doing some great work 
for former players, among other things he's got going on. We'll get to that at the end. I did want to get your thoughts, Chad, on Adam Gase, sort of what you knew about him or thought of him before he became the Jets head coach and whether or not uh, you are confident that he's the right guy to be the head man of the Jets moving forward. My first conversation was, was uh, with Adam Gase was, uh, I think, around 2014 uh, when he was interested in the possibility of, of looking at the Miami Dolphins. I think he was in Chicago at that time, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong on the year. But uh, from that conversation moving forward, I have uh, developed a tremendous amount of respect for Adam, uh, just knowing uh, our conversations, our football conversations, as well as our people conversations, getting an understanding of how he views running a team and organization, and most importantly, of how he treats and operates with the quarterback position. I think in Miami, uh, there was every reason and every opportunity that Adam had to throw the quarterback under the bus, so to speak, to not support his quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Adam never did that. He completely supported Ryan in his development and what they were trying to get accomplished. That is rare in our league, unfortunately. And there are only two men in an in NFL organization that carry records. That's the head coach and the quarterback. Those are the only two people that people ever talk about uh, the record of a team. And so I think he understands the importance of having a great relationship with your quarterback, of being transparent, being able to communicate, being able to support that position because it is the most difficult position in all of professional sports. And so I've always respected him for that, and I think he's carried that on to the Jets. And I think we saw Sam really make some strides under his leadership uh, and tutelage and just how he does things as far as approaching the quarterback position. Hey, Chad, your best season with the Jets, you had 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. You were sacked 22 times. Darnold last year was sacked 33 times. To have success at the quarterback position, you got to get protected. What do they got to do with that offensive line to get him protection so he can go down the field in, in a vertical offense? Well, certainly uh, you do look at your offensive line. You look, do look at the talent that you're bringing in and how uh, not only the talent you're bringing in, but how are you developing the offensive line talent. I will tell you, though, that um, – sacks and that type of stat and looking at protection is not all upon the offensive line. Um, it certainly comes to uh, your running backs, your tight ends, um, the ability of your receivers to recognize when there is pressure and breaking routes at the appropriate time, and then your quarterback understanding when to hold the football and extend the play and when to let the football go and throw it out of bounds to live to see another down. And unfortunately, in our world of fantasy football and how we try to individualize the game, um, we look at statistics and, and we see uh, sacks, but we, we just think that that's on the offensive line. And, or we look at a completion percentage and we say, well, the guy's at 61%. He must not be accurate. When we don't truly look at, well, did he have four throwaways in that game? Did he actually save his team from negative yards? And, and keep his team out of uh, negative situations when it came to field position. And so that conversation is so much deeper than on the surface just looking at uh, the offensive line play. Although I will say, uh, you know, the organization needs to make sure that we're bringing in the right people to protect the quarterback or at least give the quarterback a chance to push the ball down the field. But there are certainly more moving parts to pass protection than just the offensive line. I'm curious, Chad, you, you know, you're one of the few guys that knows what it's like to be a quarterback in New York, but also somewhere else. Was there a big difference? And, and, and if so, what were they between being the, the quarterback of the Dolphins versus the Jets? A complete difference, Ross, a complete difference. Uh, my first press, press conference in Miami was completely different than any press conference I had in New York. And that's no... Uh, that's not taking a shot at Miami or any of the great reporters and journalists that are there. It is. It boils down to the volume of press within the New York market, um, where at any given point in your locker room in New York, there's you know possibly sixty to eighty 
um, journalist in your locker room. When I went to Miami, there was not that volume. And so when you have volume like that, the intensity rises because the questions are more. And, and so when you take one topic and you have 10 reporters asking a question on one topic, and then you double that with 20 reporters asking a question on the same topic, you can imagine that there's 20 different uh, questions, um, that questions are presented 20 different ways compared to 10. So that intensity has been doubled. That scrutiny has been doubled. Um, you know, the, the talk about the question has been doubled. So uh, to say that there is no difference in New York, I would, I would have to disagree with someone who would say that because I've experienced it. And so that's part of the professional piece of being a quarterback in New York that we're asking Sam Darnold to automatically already have underneath his belt. That only comes through uh, experience, good sound advice from people around you. I myself had a, a situation in 2004 where, uh, you know, I took, I quote, took the media on. It was not wise on my part, but I let my emotion get the best of me. From that point on, uh, I learned from that uh, mistake and, and really worked on my presentation and worked on how I could uh, interact with the media. Uh, now, we're having this conversation, and we haven't mentioned one thing about performance on the field. <laughs> and so you can see how all these factors go into being a professional quarterback, number one, but also being a professional quarterback in New York. Yeah, that's exactly where I want to go, Chad, is, you know, winning in sports is the magic elixir. It fixes everything. So – they go seven and nine over the, or seven and five over their final twelve games last year. If you remove that four games, is this a team heading into the twenty twenty season? You know, barring this off season, maybe an addition of an Odell Beckham Jr., or a team that should be poised to make the playoffs in that division, contend for a division title with the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots. Is that a reasonable expectation? Well, if you take the exact same team from last year. I think that answer would be no. If you take uh, the best parts of the team from last year and then add a few parts to it, I think then you could have uh, a realistic conversation about that expectation. Um, Part of becoming a playoff contender is being seasoned as a team and going through experiences and being able to hold um, you know, crucial parts of your team together, being able to add other parts that can really add to the leadership piece and the chemistry piece of a team. That's one thing that we forget about with football. And why, I guess why we love the NFL so much is that it truly boils down to the 53 men in the locker room and how they come together. Um, and sometimes it doesn't have to do with an X and an O or a scheme to get that done. I've been on teams where we started off terrible and people were talking about the scheme and what we needed to do, and really what we did to fix it was our belief system. That happened to us in 2002 when I became the starter. People were talking about play calling and things like that. We won seven out of nine after starting two and five and won the division, and guess what? Our play calling got more conservative. But what changed was our belief system in making those plays work and believing in each other and uh, you know really making it work as a team. So uh, to answer your question, yes, it can happen, but there's a lot of work to be done, first of all, in the front office and bringing in the right pieces for this specific team in 2020, as well as the work to be put in by the players to make it happen. Speaking of the work that's being put in, Chad, last question, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, last I checked, you were still working for the, the Players' Trust, uh, which was part of the last CBA, and... You were coaching football. Are both of those still going on? And can you let the listeners and viewers know what you got going on and, and what you're getting out of both of those jobs? Absolutely. So slight correction, I work as a consultant within the NFL Legends community, which is an umbrella of um, former players. We work as directors and coordinators within the community, working in tandem with the league office to help our guys transition from the game uh, and use the programs and resources and benefits that are out there for them to have a successful transition into the next chapter of their lives. Underneath that, we do work with the Players Trust. I just got off the phone with, with one of the, the employees of the trust yesterday and helping three players find some resources that they were looking for. Uh, and so that's a collectively bargained agreement between the owners 
and the P and the the union, where this trust has been uh, so uh, it's been very successful in serving players with the six pillars that it has. Uh, with that, the Legends Youth Advisory Committee is one that I serve on as well with uh, ten former players, where we're looking at how we take the information. Uh, that we have at the NFL level and really push it down to our grassroots in youth and high school football because that's truly where the health of our game lies. So that's been really fun to be a part of and rewarding. And then finally, I did start a football program from scratch here in Lexington, Kentucky, small private school in downtown Lexington. Hasn't had football since 1976. And so that's been rewarding to really use the game of football uh, as a platform to develop our young student athletes. I think sometimes we don't talk enough about the core values of our game that can be so beneficial in developing uh, our young student athletes. And so I've really enjoyed that and teaching our, our kids on what accountability looks like and responsibility and teamwork and accepting constructive criticism and all these different things that our game just naturally provides that are, are so beneficial and vital to their success in life after football. So that's been rewarding as well. Man, that is awesome, Chad. And I don't know why I said trust. I knew you were part of the legends community, but I also knew you worked <laughs> with them. But that's that, that is awesome. Uh, keep up the great work, man. Always good seeing you in person. Appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. guys. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey everybody. It's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the home and home podcast. Remember, You can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.